Computing Broadcast a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Welcome to the show. Now, this is the first episode of the new year, and what better way, when you look onto the new year, you plan for success, what better way to plan for success than looking back at your failures, your goofs, your missteps, your mistakes, and saying, what can I do better? How can I learn from that? Failure is the greatest teacher. Well, today, speaking of failure... I have Dr. Samuel West. Now, he is not a failure. He's very successful, although he has built that success upon other people's failures. He is the, I guess, curator, creator, the brains behind the Museum of Failure, which is in Sweden permanently and is on rotation in Los Angeles. So we are going to sit down. Uh, Let's get right into this because I feel like this is something we need to talk about immediately, get right into it. we got a lot to talk about. Uh, So let's get the real tough question out of the way first. Do you like Dr. West or Sammy Dubs? It's one of those two. (laughs) Can you you just mix them? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Okay. I just got got reprimanded by the... The exhibit agent in, in LA, and he says, You've got to start calling yourself Dr. Samuel West. Like, be serious about it. <laughs> oh, so. oh, no <laughs> kidding. That's, well, that will ensure that I'm calling you Sammy Dove I mean, for duh. the duration of this interview. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, say, um, um, call me uh, respectful Dr. Samuel West. <laughs> and then the next sentence, say, Okay, so then, <laughs> Dove. <laughs> I All right, I'll I will give honestly, you. Honestly, I don't the, give a shit. Just go. <laughs> okay. All right, I, I will I will give you the respect you deserve. You know, I respect you not only as a doctor but also as a curator of absolute and utter failure, absolutely. Of which you've had monumental success. Yes, crazy. I love the irony there. Yeah, crazy stuff. Uh, so, so, so now you grew up in California, which is funny. Do you have any relation to Adam West or um, or Jerry West <laughs> or the Wicked Witch of the West? Uh, oh, oh god oh god um yeah so adam west and i we go way back and can you west and i uh we're brothers <laughs> different different mothers <laughs> i hate Kanye west i didn't mention him oh. uh but i do love adam west His daughter likes him unfortunately so oh, god. Uh, i'm trying to sort of uh, being a behavioral psychologist i'm, I'm trying to sort of um be I thought like this, so I don't want her to like Kanye West. So um, my strategy was, so if I say you can't, don't listen to that shit, um, then she'll just like him even more. So, you know, that's what teenagers do. So um, I I decided that I would be Kanye West's biggest fan because I'm a nerd and anything I like can't be cool. I've I've liked him on Facebook. I go I, I say yes to all concerts on Facebook and Instagram. I'm just I'm Kanye West's biggest fan. And what's happening now is that she's like, no, he's not so cool anymore. I'm like, oh, that's a shame. Yep. <laughs> Dude, you put your psychology degree to work, which Absolutely. most people don't do. Absolutely. No, oh, otherwise man, I love that. otherwise it's a complete waste. Yeah, I mean, you've got glasses. She doesn't want to like the same thing that a guy with glasses likes. No, no, nerd. Nerds, nerds. This is also really important. I love alliteration, okay? Mm. When, I saw, when I saw the Museum of Failure, I got to tell you, I, I'm surprised it wasn't the Museum of Mistakes or the Museum of Missteps. What happened? Oh, no, come on. Which sounds better, Museum of Mistakes or Museum of Fucking Failure? I mean, it's definitely extreme, for sure. Yeah, no, in my mind, there was never any. I mean, I, the, um, I work with a guy in, um, in uh, Paul in, in the Netherlands who runs the Institute of Brilliant Mistakes. I love it. It's a great name, mm. and he's been doing this for like 
seven, eight years. Good stuff. Um, but when I when I decided to open a museum, there was no. It was just like there was no question in my mind. Of course, it's going to be museum of failure. Right. That's fair. I mean, it's the extreme. That's the point you want. I just yeah. love alliteration, though, man. People remember that stuff. Yeah. No. 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 Now, you and I. Now, clearly, I just failed on my pitch to you. But you and I also had a little bit of a failure last time because we're doing this this interview actually a couple weeks after our first uh, attempt, mm. which was an absolute failure, and complete and utter catastrophe. Yep. Yeah. It belongs in your museum. Oh, um, don't get me started. Yeah. Hmm. So now you were telling me, so part of the problem was that the internet, you were in South Africa, which I believe you still are. Yes. And the internet was really bad. That was part of our problem. And yeah. you promised you would explain to me why. Yeah. You told so, me to remind you. What happened? Yeah. So, um, so I'll give you the, the, the practical details and then I'll, so, so the, so, so South Africa, you know, it's not, it's not in the bush. It's, you know, civilized. It, 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 yeah, it's like in Cape Town, you couldn't basically tell the difference between Cape Town and a, and a beautiful European city, but um, in many ways. But um, the internet here is prehistoric, so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's unreliable and it's slow. And the problem is, is that, um, there's two problems. One, one major issue is that unlike in Sweden, uh, where in most, many other places, you know, you, you pay a flat subscription fee for your for your for your broadband or your fiber, and then you can use as much giga, as many gigabytes as you need, right? Mm-hmm, Here, right. everybody is it's like a water meter. Everybody is just preoccupied with the gigabytes, so you only have a certain amount of uh, data uh, per your per per account. So restaurants they sort of make their Wi-Fi really slow, so you can't use up all their bandwidth. Um, uh, the places we've been, the hotels and the places we've rented, they're also like, yeah, yeah, we've got Wi-Fi. But then it turns out that, yeah, it's really slow because they don't want you to use up all their um, bandwidth. Uh, or so you mean like, a, hold on, you mean like an American cell phone data plan? Yeah, but in, a, in an extreme way. So it, it affects everything. So, um, I mean, it affected our interview, our, our scheduled interview, because I couldn't get any, I couldn't get any reliable, I couldn't get any, Wi-Fi couldn't get any internet that was actually um, not tapped or capped at some point. Um, to, to you know, I couldn't even get Skype to work. That's ridiculous. Mm. That's that's such a ridiculous system. It is ridiculous. I mean, look, it works and, for and, and, cell phones on the small. Level. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I found out. I, I checked into it. Like, why is you know, basically I, I googled why does internet in South Africa suck? Um, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and one that's of the reasons is. Um, or has been is that the 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 actual physical cables? I mean, South Africa is basically on an island. It's, between South Africa and Europe is like huge continent Africa with bad you know infrastructure. So there is a physical uh, limitation as to how much data comes and leaves South Africa. So there's a real reason why everybody is sort of stingy about their internet. Well, that's insane, um, and I'm sorry you had to deal with that, Sammy D. <laughs> All for you. <laughs> I know you did that for me, man. So we I can even do this bought, right now. I, I even bought a. I even bought. I even tried to get like a prepaid cell sort of uh, Wi-Fi route, router type thing and bought it. And <laughs> no, you didn't. Inv- yeah, you, no, I did for you. So I'm sending you the bill. Uh, what's your? Oh my god! Yeah, invoice address. Me. Yeah, give me your address. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do it off the air. Let's let's we'll do it later. We'll do it later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, checks in the mail. Um, now I gotta tell you because I, I went to the museum and it, honestly, like looking at all the stuff, and uh, you know, I've I've basically cyber stalked you for the past two weeks and listened oh. to your interviews oh. and listened to, and l- listened to the whole concept. It really got me thinking about what is a success and what is a failure and the relationship between the two, which is really interesting. Mm. Um, but that's like a post idea. How did this, what was the genesis of this whole thing for you? Because, I mean, were you thinking about these extreme issues? I mean, were you boggling, like, you know, like really contemplating these types of grandiose ideas? Um, so sort of, I mean, my, my, I did my PhD, I'm a psychologist from the beginning. And then I 
uh, as an old person, I did my uh, <laughs> plus 40. Uh, I did my um, PhD in organizational psychology. And my focus was on how, how organizations can develop an innovative uh, climate in the workplace. Um, and you know, my, my, folk, my research focus was on play and playfulness and, and workplace engagement. Um, but this whole issue of people being afraid of making mistakes, people being afraid of failure, was something that kept popping up as a, an obstacle for innovation. So, I mean, I was thinking about it, I was checking into, looking into the research, but I, it just didn't lift, like it didn't take off because um, the research is interesting, but it hadn't really caught on. Um, and the way failure is approached in organizations is in a boring sort of predictable manner. Um, and I've been thinking about like, how can I, you know, how can I communicate this really cool research and how can I communicate the importance failure and, and handling and learning from failure, failure um, for any kind of progress, how can I present that in a, in a way that's interesting? And I, and I hadn't found any solution to that. I mean, writing a book or doing a seminar or something, is, you know, that's, that's just boring. Um, mm-hmm. So I always do a podcast. I'm kidding. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, slam. <laughs> slam. Jack. I'll take a good clean shot. Good clean shot. <laughs> So that, so uh, yeah, I was, uh, let's see, it was summer of 2016. Uh, I was visiting the Museum of Broken Relationships in Zagreb in Croatia. They have a, they used to have a, a Museum of Broken Relationships in LA as well. Um, they did, yep, <clears throat> yep. A Bachelor episode took place there. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that. Anyway, it no that, longer exists. It was at that the museum of broken relationships, and I thought like it was I, that's where I had my sort of aha hallelujah experience, where like they they just did a really good job of this crazy abstract concept of broken relationships, and then they had physical artifacts and stories at a museum, and I just thought that was the best thing ever, and there and then decided to open the museum of failure. So yeah. Well, now that's an interesting story. Now that's now that's like what an adult would say. Someone with your background and your pedigree would say that as a respectable doctor. Uh, but you have on several interviews said that the reason why you opened this is because you were sick and tired of seeing successful people. Yeah, which sounded super okay. petty, but yeah. I did find it very funny. Well, it, okay, so so there's always so, so the truth is always nuanced and complex. So the <laughs> the truth is that is equally <laughs> a reason why I started the museum. I'm so you can pick up any newspaper, any any magazine, watch any kind of show, any, anywhere, listen to any podcast, and, and people are always glorifying success, successful people in every aspect of life. So, oh, I'm so successful because I just ran a marathon. Uh-huh, come and talk to me and be impressed with me because I'm such a cool runner. Um, or businessman or whatever, artist, something. We're, we're always bowing down to of the, the, the success in different um, um, ways. And I, I got really tired of it because I was trying to find, is there anyone who actually sort of admits and is willing to discuss and, and learn from failure? And I, I couldn't find it anywhere. So, well, no one wants to. No one wants to listen to someone who's an abject failure. You know, like oh. like if I had people on the podcast who were like, "Well, you know, I tried, but I bought too many scratch tickets, and I fell into a, a drug problem, and now I'm homeless." But it's you know, I'm different. Oh, but, I mean, it's like that's. Hey, I I get. Oh yeah, okay. Point point made. Um, <clears throat> but if if I was in a discussion with you, uh, Mister Successful Podcast Dude. Um, I would be interested in knowing also how you fucked up, you know. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't take much. <laughs> it's interesting, like why, you know, if that's the context, talking about podcasts, whatever we talk about. Um, <clears throat> I'm yeah, interested. You've in, latched onto that, so let's go with it. Yeah, I, I want I, I want. I want the whole the whole story. I don't just want the best. Okay, let, uh, can I tell the story? Of course. Yeah. So, uh, so um, 
back when I was studying in, in university, um, I had, we had some good friends, um, um, Peter and Maria. So um, they are our age. Uh, we spent a lot of time with them. They like, as my wife and I love to travel. So um, they, you know, we would compare stories every time the, the school year started again, like where you've been, what's been going on, and how was your trip. So the interesting thing was that um, Maria, she would say, oh, we went to, and then insert, you know, whatever country. We went to Spain, and it was so awesome, and we had the most wonderful weather, and we saw these things, and we had such interesting and fun experiences. And she would give the her version of the trip, which was spectacular. Now, that's the regular story you always hear from people when they go on the trip. Mm-hmm. And it's so... Sure boring it's so sort of predictable it's just like all right so you had a nice time good for you you know um you saw some nice mountains and beaches um so peter on the other hand he would always say yeah no it was great um but my wallet was stolen on the bus <laughs> or you know he would always say that he should keep track of his wallet better something like I mean, he would always give this he would give the, his version. He was happy and loved the trip as well. They were both in Spain together. But his version mm-hmm. was um, spiced up with some reality, which was not always positive. Sure. And his stories were always much more interesting than anything she had to say. Well, I mean, the you know classic narratives, whenever you learn about screenwriting or stories, I mean, it's about obstacles. It's about the things that keep the hero protagonist from his goals, that's the interesting stuff. Mm. You know, I mean, that's the conflict. I mean, that's, that's literally the definition of a story is you keep, you keep him away from his goals for an hour and a half and then he gets it at the <laughs> end and there you go. That's a movie. Everybody's happy. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can break almost every movie down into that. Uh, yeah, except I guess the you're depressing right. Yeah. Ones, you know? Um, so I think that that's just, maybe you're just defining a narrative. I, I, yeah, maybe. If I just yeah. no, yeah, I, I mean, just simplified your entire yeah. your entire life's work. Gee, thanks. Sammy D. Anyway, thanks, thanks a lot, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm well, just, mean I'm, just spending, I'm just spending I'm just spending you know an hour of my life you know on on my holiday here in beautiful South Africa <laughs> oh, talking man. to you, but that's okay. Go ahead and insult me. I can take it. <laughs> no, it's not insult. <laughs> it's just breaking it down. But I think no, honestly, I think that that that's a fundamental piece. I mean, when you talk about these stories, this, these stories are the exact same type of stories exist throughout the history of humankind, yeah, which yeah, means that there's a yeah. fundamental element to all of these things Absolutely. that is universal amongst the human race that you've stumbled across and, bro- and boiled it down to its pure essence and opened a museum. It's not an insult, sir. It's oh, the oh, highest honor oh, I can wow. bestow upon someone. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry. I, 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 I wanted you to okay. insult me, so I projected. Anyway. Um, no, but there you go. I mean, but that's incredible. And what you've what you've really stumbled upon here is the, is the the truth, the human truth that behind every success and all the successes you're talking about that we that we um, glorify and put on a pedestal, behind every one of those is a series of failures. For sure. I mean, there's. It, it, um, I don't know how. I, I, I don't know how relevant this is, but I, I'm kind of fascinated with it. How. Um, now being all, I'll decide how relevant it is. Okay, okay thank you. Um, focused on you know failure. Uh, if you think about the the fundamentals of life itself, um, we exist because of zillions and zillions of failed mutations. So um, even life itself uh, is exists because of failure, zero and nothing else. Like, if it wasn't for all these mutations, we wouldn't exist. Well, and you can even take that and even personalize it to each individual, is that there's millions of failed sperm and one successful <laughs> one that brought you to life. Billions of, billions of failed sperm. Yeah, billions For every billions. successful human being, right? <laughs> for every successful human, for, for every sex, sex sexfully. Uh, there you go, psychoanalyze that. Yeah, Freudian. But for every successfully created human being, billions of failures. Yeah, I'm, and 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 we, so so, failure is something that's sort of stigmatized. It's I mean it's definitely something negative. We like you said who I mean we, um, 
we're not as interested in a failed person or somebody who's only experienced failure. I, I, yeah, for sure. But even when it comes to success, whether it's successful people or companies or whatever, the, that we, even, even they, even the most successful person or company is still afraid of talking about, or often, most often not, more often than not, uh, afraid of talking about their own failure. They won't admit it. There's something fundamentally sort of, there's something that we humans have. It's stronger in certain cultures and not, not as strong in others where we, where we are afraid of failure. Um, we're afraid of admitting failure for ourselves. We're afraid of admitting failure, you know, publicly you know, at work. Um, it's something that hurts. And there's something, there's in, I don't have the answer to this, there's something fundamentally interesting here where, where much of our success is due to learning from our fuck-ups and failures, but we don't want to discuss the way, or the actual, the real way of, of achieving our successes. I think that's amazing, I mean, not amazing, it's, it's very interesting. Well, I can I can give you some insight on that. I'm the analytical mastermind, Sammy D. So I can tell you a little bit. So so let's let's talk about that because I think that this is really interesting, and I think the the quintessential piece to this conversation is stakes, right? So the failures people don't want to be viewed as a failure, especially in American culture, no, Western no. culture. No one wants to be considered a failure. People want to be considered a success, and you only care about a person's failures when it makes their success story more interesting. Mm, mm. There, there are very, there are very. No one wants to. So, so for example, the DeLorean is a good example. Yeah. Now, I believe this exists mm. in your museum. Yes. If it wasn't for Back to the Future. No one would know what a DeLorean is. No, nobody it was would an care. abject failure. Yeah. It's an abject failure. And, and John DeLorean, I believe it's John DeLorean, yeah. he would go on to the annals of automotive history as being an abject failure, and no, no. one would remember who he was. No. The only reason it happened to be a success is it was a cool-looking car, or, or, and, and Robert Zemeckis was a master marketer way before product mm. placement was a thing. Put that car in his movie. And that movie became a runaway success. You know, it was essentially that car was riding the coattails of the success of Back to the Future. So now we care about it. Yeah. But no one wants to go down and be an abject failure. No. So I, I think the, most of the things in your museum are small little missteps or mistakes, <laughs> as I go back to my original yeah. name. And they're more like hiccups in the road. Yes. But no one wants to put their self on the line and then be decimated, you know, Politically or socially or financially, by a mistake. No, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely not. There, there's a, there's a, a quote. Um, I just can't. Uh, John Sinclair. Um, he wrote that um, failure is a bruise. It's not a tattoo. Um, I wanted to print this up on sort of um, you know those uh, temporary tattoos and sell them at the museum, but um, <clears throat> I have I failed to get anywhere on that. Um, but it's a great. That's it, funny. That's it, a really it, good it, idea. It, but it's a, it's a, it's it's a wonderful um, quote because um, we see failure. We tend to see failure as something that's permanent. That you know I, I screw up on this thing and it's the end of the road. It's it's you know period down end game over. Whereas. Um, sure, there's probably there's certain circumstances where that's true. But it true. can be. But, yeah, yeah, there, yeah, definitely. <laughs> the yeah, example yeah. I just gave. Yeah. Yeah, but but in for the most part, um, especially when we're actually trying, you know, when we're uh, exerting ourselves for progress, we're trying to innovate, we're trying to do something that's new or n you know learn new skills ourselves. We failure is um, it is seldom that sort of end of the road. It's seldom that sort of huge catastrophe that we that we. Um, we imagine that it will be. So we have this, we have this huge fear of failure unnecessarily. And society doesn't even stigmatize failure as much as we think it does. We respect people that fail and then try again and fail again. And eventually, hopefully... As long as they succeed, stuff. right. Yeah, you're, I mean, you, you do succeed. have a point. Nobody wants to listen to... A person you have to cross the finish who's line. just like, hey, I'm still struggling. Nothing's doing very well. Um, you know, my my company sucks. My wife hates me. My kids won't talk to me. Uh, and I'm fat. Um, <laughs> nobody wants to listen to that person at all. I get it, but um, 
yeah, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. No, that's okay. Well, no, no, this brings up a really interesting point here, and I, it, but so we should probably do this right now, mm. and I think we should really define what failure is because I think your museum paints a very specific definition of failure, and as does society, and as, you know, and I have my own definition. So, what did you go with as an expert, as a doctor, as a respected doctor, psychologist? Uh, how do you define it? Um. I like the, the academic sort of definition of failure uh, is what I've used to as a criteria for the museum, um, and I really like it. It's it's simple. It's a de- failure is a deviation from expected or desired outcomes. So it means that if you want you know something to happen, um, a certain thing to happen, and you do make your you know, make an attempt, um, and it doesn't turn out as you wish or as it had expected, then that's a failure. So in a commercial context, that means you create a product and nobody buys it, and um, uh, you, know, you lose a bunch of money. So then it didn't turn out as you'd expected, so it's a failure. Um, well, I, I hate well, that definition. Well, give me, your, give, give, gonna... give, me your, give me your definition. Well, I, I don't know what my definition is, so I'm going to say that, and I'm gonna, but I'm going to tell you why I don't like yours, oh, and I will provide okay. a solution. Uh, let, I'm, not yours. I'm okay, let me take that away from you. Yeah. No, let me... <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You, Mr. Podcaster. No, no. <laughs> well, because you, what, you're, what you're saying is it deviates from, from the expected outcome, which means you have to set expectations, right? So by that definition, the movie Psycho was a failure. Because the expectations were it was going to not do well financially. And it turns out it was a runaway hit. Well, by that definition, it did not. It did not <laughs> Wait, that's, why? That's the buzzer sound, okay? So, backtrack. Why did I get buzzed? No, I'm not going to okay. finish. So, um, the expected or desired outcome. So, you make a film. Even if you expect it to fail commercially, you hope, you desire that you make some money off of it or you get some awards for it. So Psycho was a success because it did meet the desired outcome. Am I wrong? Okay. No, I guess that makes sense. But what about like the producers? Because the desired outcome was that it didn't make any money. Okay. And that was supposed to be it was supposed to be a failure, but then it becomes super successful, which is actually a success financially, but not a success for them. Is that the <laughs> is that the only oxymoron? No. Yeah, that's that's a bit more complex. Okay. All right. All right. All right. No, but, but um, I mean, the thing that, is, the thing is, um, when it comes, I mean, anytime you, so it's easy to look at it when you look at it from organizations or from a commercial uh, um, innovation perspective, but that's because. Companies they don't they don't invest when when they create a new product or a new service or somebody wants to start a new business they don't put all that effort and all that money they don't plow all those resources into it without having expectations of what that's supposed to lead to so mm-hmm. so any kind of innovation okay. is always going to be an an, an an investment in some way and so if you don't get a return on it whether you don't get your know money or your publicity or whatever you want from your endeavors then that becomes a failure okay so you have to have an inherent belief that you want it to succeed yes, because in you, order for that definition to if work. you do something which makes sense yeah if you, if, if you if you engage in an activity and you don't actually care how it goes um, then you can't really define it as a failure either I mean if you go and you try to pick up some somebody at a bar, some, are you gonna try your moves there at the, you know your new? <laughs> I don't even know. I'm so I'm so out of this. I can't. I don't even know the terminology. I can tell your pickup That's line. Right. Your go pickup on. line. Yeah. You sure? So, sure. Go on. Yeah. So you're you're gonna try pick up and and if you honestly don't actually care whether that you know girl um, um, responds positively to your pickup line, if it's I'm just gonna test. I'm gonna have fun trying it. Then it doesn't matter if she says yes or no because you you didn't fail because your ambition was just to have some fun there and try it. Whereas if your ambition mm-hmm. is to have sex and you try the pickup line and she runs away, then that's a failure. Mm-hmm. By every definition, sure. Mm-hmm. By any metric that would be <laughs> any kind of measure. <laughs> sure. 
Um, that, that is very true. Although what's what's ironic about that situation is the less you perceive to care about it, the more success uh, you tend to have in the long run. Or so that I've seen in practice, which is <laughs> kind of messes with your head a little bit. Uh, that, there's a couple. Of, yeah, now I'm getting I'm getting out there. I'm getting out there. I'm not the pickup artist, so we're gonna we'll, we'll finish that. We'll put a button on that. Uh, but there are some really interesting because on that definition, there's a, a couple of really interesting things that that either are in your museum or should be, and one of them is nylon, mm. which you put in there, which you put in there as a failure, but in fact, it's an incredible success. Yes. But I believe that the failure you're talking about is in the way it was created, right? Yeah, so I have a number of uh, artifacts in the museum that don't meet the criteria uh, of being an innovation and being a failure. So there's certain things that they're they're just too good to miss that I've sort of sort of um, relaxed the criteria because I think they belong in the museum anyway. And one of those is nylon, where um, the German researchers, um, I think it was in the 20s. I don't have my notes in front of me, but um. They were doing research on on plastics, and sometimes they would leave the 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 burners on over the weekend. So when they returned to work um, after the weekend, they'd see that this plastic had been boiling all all you know for for two days, and you know they screwed up. So the Germans would you know make sure nobody saw them, and then toss throw away that failed blobbering mess of plastic, and then restart the experiment. Um, ten years later, um, in the United States at DuPont, uh, same thing happened. Somebody accidentally left the uh, burners on um, the plastic on the burners over the weekend, and when he returned the next day, instead of throwing it away, he's like, "Okay, I fucked up, but uh, let's take let's take a closer look at this." And it's that's how nylon was discovered, and it it was a hugely it's, it was and is a hugely successful uh, product, and some people some I've read some theorists, the theories that say that um, if the Germans had discovered nylon 10 years earlier, it could have changed the outcome of the war. Quite, quite a wow. huge impact. Yes, all the German soldiers would have been wearing very tight leggings, yeah. I believe is what they were referring to there. Yeah, probably um, leggings, not parachutes or anything like that. None. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got your priorities straight there, guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Because um, well, you could also put penicillin in that mm, vein too, definitely, right? Definitely. I'm actually going to uh, add that in the next exhibit um, because it's a, it's a similar story. Um, uh, Alex, will you put will you put my name on there? Just say, hey, recommended by Daniel J. Glenn, analytical mastermind, fascinating nouns. Just in that, will you do that for yeah, me? Yeah, 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 sure. When you pay me for my expenses for the South African internet. Then I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Deal. Uh, so now there's a couple other. So now we're talking about mostly it's innovations, right? Yeah. In your in your museum, um, but there are you know I think because there's also I guess innovations can be items, but also the technologies. Because one of the things that that is there's a couple that I live through, and there's a couple that are my favorite. Um, and one of them is Blockbuster and Netflix, which is really interesting. And it's almost it's you know it. it Failure is an interesting way to put it because it's more of a headstrong belief that what you're currently doing is correct and, in, and a failure to innovate or see the innovation. And Blockbuster is a perfect example of that, which I believe you have in your museum as well. Definitely. Yeah, a Blockbuster has to be in a museum. They fucked up. Big right. But they, but it's not like they created something and it didn't work. Oh, they, yeah. what they created, they were a monumental success. Yes. I mean, they were the titans of the industry, and their failure really comes from not doing anything, yeah. not from trying, and then falling on their face. Yeah. So their failure. I mean, the 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 sign texts at the museum don't offer much. I mean, it's a small glimpse of the of the story. But Blockbuster's failure was a failure to innovate. So at nine thousand stores, they were huge. And they, um, they knew that the future was uh, internet streaming, and they invested heavily into that, and they were actually pretty good at it. Um, and they, the board of directors uh, fired the CEO who had invested in, in streaming, um, done the uh, investments in streaming, because um, he argued that that was the future, et cetera, et cetera. 
And they said, no, um, he's fired because streaming doesn't allow them to charge late fees. So they, they made 37%. I'm, I, I kind of made up that number, but a big portion of their... Seems bu- right. <laughs> 37 is always a good number. Um, it seems conservative. Yeah, 37.4% uh, <laughs> of, of their profits came from punishing uh, customers with late fees. So they're like, hey, we're going to kill the, the whole streaming project because they threaten the, the late fees, which were highly profitable. Um, so they killed um, um, the internet streaming investment or the project. Uh, got, they, they, they fired the CEO, got in a new CEO who just said yes to whatever the board said. Uh, and a few years later, Netflix had killed Blockbuster. But now, 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 to be fair to the story, they killed them with their at-home DVD service that eliminated late fees. That's yep. really what buried Blockbuster. And Blockbuster. then later on... You have to... No, it's a, yes, in, in one way. I mean, Netflix, their whole advertising campaign, at least initially, was the end of late fees. So, I mean, that was a major mm-hmm. issue. And their model with you know, paying a monthly fee and then getting as many films as you want basically their mail what do you call it mail service mail order um dvd yeah it was the same thing i mean it's the same model as the streaming you pay a certain fee and you get as many as you want so they 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 eliminated the late fees they changed they totally you know disrupted the 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 business model that blockbuster had and they were Mm -hmm. much more aligned with you know i mean their model works much better with streaming than blockbusters obviously did, um, and it didn't take long for blockbuster to, to go belly up. Nine thousand no, stores. Nine thousand stores. You, it's you. You have to wrap your head around how huge they were, and if how much muscle they had. If they, if they would have, you know, continued to invest in uh, internet in, in streaming and had had the balls to. Um, uh, inno- to be innovative even with their business strategy and not being so fucking greedy, Blockbuster would, would have killed... Netflix would not have existed. I mean, they, would, they wouldn't have had a chance. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. But I, you know, I do want to mention one thing here because, it's, again, it's, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Once you have a success like Netflix, it's easy to look back and say, like, oh, everything they did was so great and they were perfect. But as we're talking about this, the whole streaming thing was a huge controversy, and Netflix didn't actually become successful with streaming until much later. Yeah. A case in point is they buried Blockbuster without the late fee, so they disrupted that. I get that. But there was a point, um, I believe it was like 2007 or nine. one of those two. is an odd number before the yeah. tens. That's what I know. And Reed Hastings actually wanted to switch over to streaming exclusively for Netflix mm-hmm. and create like a mm-hmm. spin-off company for their DVD service and, ex- and and had extreme backlash from the yeah. people who from the customers so much yeah. to the point where they actually had to pull back on their streaming service. Yeah. Uh, so streaming didn't really become popular until later. Obviously now it's like no one can live without no, it. No. But you know 10 years ago that was a big move. Absolutely. I mean it, it, it reality is always I mean like I I, I mentioned before the all these stories of the failures, whether they're simple product failures or like this, you know, business model failures, um, they're always complex. There's always different sides to the stories. There's always different sort of views as to when, when do you start, like one, one issue is when do you, when is a product or a service a failure? Is it in, during the, in the, like, is everything, is every idea you have that you don't, finalize is that a failure no that's too early on in the process or is it only when you've launched products on the market is that when they become a failure um it's difficult so when you're talking about net uh, netflix here um and when what they did right what they did wrong it's that gets comp- really complex really quickly when you start saying when are we going to pinpoint what at what point did something become a failure or a success it's 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 not that easy Sure. No, that's fair. And I guess you you were in the the you know the hot seat because when you pick stuff for <laughs> the museum, it's all stuff that's clearly failed a long time ago. Yeah. Um, although you do have some no. new stuff because like Netflix and Blockbuster are an example. No, I have the. I have What's the, the newest thing? Yeah, I had the, There's two things I have new. Um, 
One was a donation to the the Los Angeles exhibit. Um, and that's the uh, Juicero, the expensive juicer from Silicon Valley. That was last year. <laughs> okay. like anybody, anybody, anybody listening to this, uh, do yourself a favor. Google Juicero. I don't know, juicer of failure, whatever. There's a couple of art, one article in the Guardian and the other on the Verge. Just in, enjoy; it's wonderful. <laughs> I w- I will look at that. Actually, before I do that, I want to tell you. Uh, I think it's only fair that at some point during this conversation, I tell you about a monumental failure oh, that yes. I've done. Yes, I'm. I'm and, let me and, get a pen. Hold on, hold on. Okay. <laughs> no, this is going to be good. You're going to like this. Uh, and and it's about Blockbuster, as a matter of fact. Mm. So this is like right around I think 2009. So it's right. This is why I know so much about the Blockbuster mm-hmm. Netflix mm-hmm. switchover. And so Blockbuster had already declared bankruptcy. Their <laughs> stock was in the toilet. It was actually a penny stock at this point. It mm. was um, probably trading for less than a penny. Uh, they'd been decimated. Uh, and so for, I, I remember getting a hint that they were going into streaming, that they were, that they were going to get bought out by DirecTV, and that they were going to go headfirst into the streaming market. And I believed that because of the, large, the, the relationships they'd built up with for you know, two decades or whatever as a business, they're going to be super successful. So I remember I was really into penny stocks at the time, uh, which is, for the record, no one should ever do that. There's nothing closer to gambling ever. So that was what I learned from this. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Come on. So I want to hear the failure. Uh, Come on. So, <laughs> okay. So I invested quite a bit of money into this penny stock. And for the next week and a half, I was on the most wild ride ever as the stock just skyrocketed. Mm, so well, it went exciting. from yeah. a penny. It went from a penny to 30 cents, um, which is a 30-fold increase. Yeah. So I went from like Crazy. you know $3,000 invested to, to like $60,000, right? And I was like, oh, and I convinced three people to buy the stock. They were, it was going crazy. And I was like, and I, don't, I looked up like condos. I was like, going to buy my apartment. <laughs> you spent your like, money. Like, yeah, yeah. I'd already spent, yeah. I was like, oh, my life's going to change. This is going to be amazing. I'm, you know, I, I've, I've, I beat the system. And you feel like a genius. Yeah, like, yeah. The smartest guy I, in the world. I'm a rock star. <sighs> like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm, a, I'm brilliant. And one of my friends was like, hey, look, I think there's something going on here. You know, I think we should look into this. And I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. This is going to the top. Here's why and all my reasons. Come, you know, eight days later, the SEC cracks down. And mm-hmm. it would, what happened was that in order to get rid of a lot of the stock, they, that they had paid companies to promote the, the um, Blockbuster stock. So it was, in, you know, artificially inflated. Oh, got rid no. Of it. So they put a hold on it. So the SEC got involved, put a hold on the stock at 30 cents. Two weeks later, when they pulled the hold off, it was back down to a penny, and I had lost everything that I had made. Uh, it was the most wild ride, <laughs> and it re- and it was a, a lesson learned, you know, cheaply, you know, that yeah, it, don't invest in penny stocks, know what you're doing, and if it's too good to be true, it absolutely it. is. Yeah. Ah, great story. There you go. That's my story. Um, so I, I, I think what we need to do, and I think what's really important, mm. is we've talked about failure. But what does that tell you about a success? How do you get to success? You've, you've analyzed a lot of these products. And I want to get into some of these in detail because I, I would be remiss if we got out of this conversation and I didn't talk to you about the Power Glove and Olestra, which are two of my favorite <laughs> ones. But what does this tell us about success? This feels like a good point yeah. you know, to kind of talk about. What makes a success? What is it? Um, success is uh, – so um, – I often get asked, like, so, oh, you know, uh, you're very knowledgeable about knowledgeable about all these failed innovations, and so with all of that knowledge and insight, you should be able to sort of say what, you know, predict what will be successful. That's that's actually, I'm not, no, that's wrong. Um, there's so many dif- there's so many different ways to to, to fail, um, mm-hmm. and and I mean, I think the museum really highlights that there's there's no there's no end to the amount of different or the uh, the variation in how products services fail, um, but there are some sort of general there's some very sort of weak um, themes. Uh, I'm not going to prioritize my I haven't actually. I, I they're very weak, but I've seen some themes. You want to hear two of them? Yes, of course. So um, one one theme is take this for what it's worth. Um, uh, one theme is when and this ties a little bit into your stock misadventure um, is when 
products and services are overhyped. They it's seldom it's seldom very good for it seldom predicts success. So um, if you look at the article, unless it's a movie, I will say unless yeah, it's a, unless it's a movie. Of course, there's there's exceptions to that, but when it, yeah, but yeah. Um, when yeah, exactly. Probably exceptions with movies, books, um, but when it comes to products and services, if 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 people's expectations of something new and exciting comes out, and if people's expectations are too high, and it it, it can be hyped up by you know, the companies themselves, it can be hyped up by the press, you know, um, uh, it can be hyped up by users, it can be hyped up in many different ways, and they're not. It's not always at the control. I mean, the companies are not always controlling this sort of uh, hyper or this exaggerated uh, uh, expectations of like what the marketing of it. Yeah, right. I mean, sometimes it just happens, and they like, oh shit, I, di- I didn't expect it to explode. Um, sure. But um, oftentimes, there's uh, some smart marketers who take credit for things going viral or things really exploding and getting a lot of attention. The problem is, is that when we have high expectations, then we of course scrutinize the, pro- the product and the service more, and seldom does, do things live up completely live up to our expectations or um, when when they're hyped up um, and then it it what it how what happens is the product service flops because people are like okay so this is all it was I thought it was more um, and are hugely disappointed and then the backlash comes where people are like yeah well it is a piece of shit it doesn't work um, it's mm-hmm. overrated mm-hmm. and then the damage is done when the product maybe is pretty good but it's not perfect. So Google Glass right. is a good example of that. Um, okay. You remember Google Glass? Of course. Yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> Who doesn't? I don't know how old you are. So. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm over two years old. You're so. over three and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're safe. I think you're safe. Uh, I just felt like being patronizing there. Okay, so um, okay. so the Google Glass, awesome, you know, technology, uh, really cool in many different ways. Um, made by Google, awesome company, etc. Um, but what happened is Google, you know, they hyped it up too much, way too much. They made it difficult to get. It was very expensive. They only allowed sort of the influencers of of tech in uh, in California to, you know, allowed only select people initially to buy the Google Glass, um, hyped it up to the extent that this was the future. This was like the shit. Um, people who got, you know, when they finally got a hold of the Google Glass, they realized that it's just a, it's a imperfect prototype without any functions. Uh, you couldn't use it for anything, and it was full of bugs. Um, but with the expectations of it being the future, and then the reality being that it was a, a cool, interesting little gadget, but that's the end of it, then it, the product flopped. Mm-hmm. So the Ford Edsel is another example of, of something you know, from the 50s where the car was hyped up as you know, being bigger, larger than life, being better than anything else available. And then when customers actually test drove it or dealers were... Um, which, which car? I'm sorry, which car? The Ford Etzel. There's a, it's a LA exhibit. Oh, There's yeah. a real car it's, mm-hmm. it's exhibit. Um, 1958. Um, uh, they also hyped it up. That was one of the biggest causes for the Etzel being Ford's biggest fuck-up was that they hyped it up so much that um, in, in, you know, technology-wise, aesthetics-wise, and in, you know, in every possible way, that when people and customers drove the car, like it's a, it's a regular car. There's nothing special about it, and then it immediately right. flops. Well, I think there's like a sweet spot of of expectations mm, that you yeah, have to hit yeah. because you have to get people excited to to be a part of it. Oh you can't yeah, be like eh, it's fine, you know, whatever. I just made so a new car, but I, it's, not, it's not that interesting. But you know, you can try it. No, you're right. There's a sweet yeah, spot, and it's yeah. a difficult. It's very difficult. I mean, it's a. It seems to be very difficult to, to to hit that sweet spot because, especially, especially today when things can get big really quickly, um, mm-hmm. and sort mm-hmm. of out of control, it's very difficult to control that. You know, if you think of it as a sweet spot, it's very difficult. If if it's if the attention and hype gets going, it's hard to mm-hmm. dampen it. 
I don't even know if it's Yeah, fun. no, that's yeah. that's fair. And and sometimes things get overhyped and it has nothing to do with the company. They didn't overhype it, but people overhyped it. Yeah, you know, they got super excited yeah. about I mean, it, and the mechanism of failure is one of it for you. I, I I was terrified in so I opened in June in Sweden, um, the the original the the the, the first well, the the museum before it opened in LA, um, and in it was in April, I started getting press requests and and artic- and, and and interview requests for a museum. That didn't exist. So most of the most of the media attention yeah. um, occurred when the Museum of Failure was a pile of stuff on my conference room table. Um, it, the museum <laughs> nothing existed. Um, <laughs> we didn't even have a website. That's so funny. Did you and, bring people to your office and say, "Here's the museum"? Yeah, it's like I remember there was a, a Chinese, a chi- China's largest news agency, and like we want to come to an interview. I'm like. You guys are welcome, but there is no museum. Like you guys, I don't know what you're gonna do here, but you're welcome. And then they, they came up and they said, so "Oh, funny. scatter some of the stuff around your conference room, and we'll pretend that it's a museum." <laughs> <laughs> I think that. Oh, that's awesome. Three hundred and twenty million viewers. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. Wow, wow. <laughs> but I mean, but the, the point is that the the museum of failure failure was hyped. And I was concerned that it was overhyped because I was seeing all these examples of failures due to things be, being overhyped. And then I'm seeing the museum, my own creation, the Museum of Failure, being overhyped. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to go to hell. This is, gonna, this is like heading straight to catastrophe. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I didn't, I, I mean, didn't want to start dampening it and say, no, I'm not going to do any interviews or you know, fuck off press i wouldn't do that but how was i supposed to create i didn't i there was no way for me to create realistic expectations for mm-hmm. i was telling you didn't you want your no. museum to be in your own museum which would <laughs> no, be very meta. that would be very i have thought about it that would be yeah <laughs> i've actually had suggestions where i should have built in uh economically sort of in the the, the structure of the, of the museum's organization built in a time a bomb where, <laughs> where at a certain point that's, it would it, it would fail and collapse. <laughs> that's whoever told you that they should be fired immediately. That's too much. <laughs> Although it is very funny to talk about, but please do not put that into practice. So, I, really quickly, I want to tell you to put this on your radar. I think we've got a good rapport. You can trust me on this. Keep an eye on this shoe called Big Baller Brand because I promise you, based on the expectation stuff we've been talking about, that is going to end up in your you museum, mean- and it should for exactly what you're talking about. Okay, I'm gonna check it out. Um, for okay, sure. before we go, we gotta talk about we gotta talk about Olestra. Oh yeah, um, which is one of my favorites because I worked at Subway when this stuff came out. <laughs> People loved it. Um, but I, this this is this this is more like a failure of of people not giving a crap. No pun intended. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, about That's, testing. Okay, you can't <laughs> about you can't avoid products, you can't you know? avoid uh, puns when you're talking about Olestra. I mean, no, fair enough. So tell me about this thing. Uh, Olestra, 1996, Procter and Gamble. They, the food scientists at Procter and Gamble, they, 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 you know, they reached the holy grail of food science, a calorie-free fat substitute. And this is huge. This is amazing. This is like hum- humongous because now you know we can eat as many potato chips as we want without getting fat. Um, so Frito-Lay, all the big brands uh, started selling Olestra fried potato chips and other, and, and other high-fat foods. It was great. It didn't have any strange taste to it. It was, you know, it was a perfect, perfect um, fat in, in many ways, except for one small detail, and that was that it caused anal leakage. <laughs> yes, stuff coming out of your butt, yeah. poop so, coming out of your butt so, uncontrollably. So you don't get fat, but you you sit, you end up sitting on the toilet with um, explosive diarrhea. So that's not something. <laughs> that's I mean, it's I think it, it's one of my favorite as well because it's so perfect. Like it's a lot of money invested into it. Um, they have very high expectations, um, and people initially like, oh well, this is like. This is perfect. This is what we've all been waiting for. And then the backlash is like, yeah, anal leakage. Um, so it's 
it it just fits very it fits very nicely into the 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 criteria for for the objects at the museum, and it's funny. No, I mean, diarrhea is absolutely always, usually funny. Uncontrollable diarrhea is always funny. <laughs> uh, you know that's funny, and and a couple of things that are in there that are interesting is the power glove, which is my favorite. And the XFL, which you put in there, which was yeah. a failure. But keep an eye on that because Vince McMahon's actually filed oh. two patents, and there's a chance that the XFL really? could come back. Okay. Yeah, interesting. very interesting yeah, stuff. Very so, interesting. so keep keep an eye yeah. on that. Um, it's interesting stuff. So, in closing, I got to ask you two questions, mm. um, and then and then uh, we can we can classify this interview as a success. One. Um, so just to be clear, you've, you've, you've faced some backlash on some of these items, including the Colgate lasagna, because you were sued in New York by the company, right? No, I wasn't sued, but I was contacted by their... Threatened. Yeah, by their legal staff threatening that um, they have no recollection of a Colgate lasagna. Um, it didn't help that I explained to them that this is a reconstruction from from sources on brand failure. And um, if they would look at the, the lasagna box, it's spelled the Swedish style, not the English-American way of writing lasagna. And it's, it's, a, it's a reconstruction. And they're like, no, but it, we don't have a lasagna. So I'm like, well, send me the originals and I'll, I'll replace my, my you know, fake copy with, uh, with, with a real one. And they haven't, they haven't heard, I haven't heard from them since. And you know it's a re- it was a real product, correct? Yeah, I mean, the, I don't have the original, so I can't say 100%, but there's the, doc- the sources on brand failures are pretty clear about it. And I've mm-hmm. done enough digging to, to sort of, I can confidently have it on display, but I still want to say, like, hey, there might be, I'm not 100% sure, so it could be off. But I mean, I feel like if Colgate hadn't launched a, a series of frozen kitchen entrees, then they should argue their case, and they should at least send me an email and say, "Hey, guy, um, we didn't do it. This is all a uh, urban legend, and uh, get it out of your museum." And I pull it immediately. Right. No, I believe that. Um, so the road hasn't been easy, and also you have to answer this question. Mm-hmm. You promise to answer the question before I ask it. <laughs> what? <laughs> all right. So you paid cash okay. in a back alley for one of your items. No, not. Will you tell me what no. it is. <laughs> no. Come on. No, no, no. Can I okay. guess? I, no, okay, you can guess, and I can give you a... a, a, a one guess. Okay, one guess. Uh, was it the Trump board game? No, 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 no. That one, okay. no. It was, I'm not going to say what it is. It was a medical instrument. End of, <laughs> no more, no more comments. That's, dude, that's, no, that's better than you actually telling me what it is. I love <laughs> it. Um, all right, so so I highly recommend going and see it. I'm going to close with this one really quick story about my experience um, at the LA exhibit. Um, producer of my uh, producer of the show bought tickets to the show. Uh, we went on the wrong day. It was actually for the the next Friday, but we went the previous Friday. Uh, no offense to you, the museum was empty. Went up to the person at the front desk, said, "Hey, can we get into the museum?" They said, "No, it's for next Friday." And we said, "Ah, it's, you know, can we just come in now? We're here. We made a mistake. We drove an hour to get here in rush hour traffic. It was at 4 p.m." And they said, no, they made us call the company. Oh, the person on the phone said, this is ridiculous. Why is the person there not letting you in? Yeah. We had to return the tickets. Um, the, fr- the, the, the person who bought the tickets, um, the producer for the show, Sarah, um, she had to return the tickets. Her credit card had just been stolen. So we had to give them a brand new credit card oh, to buy God. new tickets oh, for that God. day to go into the museum. Um, but, but what, so it was, and when I asked them, I said, what's going on? And someone else who was at the museum was upset and was like, why are you not letting them in? Just yeah. another patron. Yeah. Um, so that's, what's going on at your LA museum, sir. And when I said, why don't you just let me in? They said, we're just following orders. And then I compared oh. them to Nazis a little extreme. Oh. Um, but that was my experience. Mm. I was upset at the time, but I got it. I got to tell you. That it was a perfect way to experience the museum of failure with an abject <laughs> failure at the beginning. I wish I could say so it was on purpose, but it wasn't. <laughs> no, be careful. Um, but but no, joking aside, I love this museum. I think it really makes people think. You've you've accumulated an incredible array, a wide range of great to- uh, great items, topics, things to think about. Um, Dr. Samuel West, I think you've earned that title. You're no longer Sammy D. It's not Sammy Dubs. Dr. <laughs> Samuel West. Thank you very much. Uh, love this. Yeah, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a good night.
Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Go to fascinatingnouns.com to check out all my previous episodes and follow me on social media. You'll find links to the show's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube channels, all on the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns website. You can even find a link to the newsletter, which has all kinds of updates, insights to the shows, upcoming episodes, all the things that I do, other projects. And if you like this show, you're going to like the others. DanielJGlenn.com is where you should go. Check it out. Thank you for listening. And of transmission.